Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast, a celebration of cinema and cinema lovers everywhere. First, I want to say, guys, great week at the box office. It's really awesome to see four movies making over $20 million this past weekend. Elvis, Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, and the movie we'll be discussing today, The Black Phone, our long-awaited adaptation of the Joe Hill story. If you, the listener, would like to jump right to that conversation, there's going to be a timestamp available in the episode description because we have an extended weekly watch list. So let's get into it. Matt, what have you been watching this week? I watched um, I watched the new movie Watcher from Chloe Okuno. Sweet. Starring um, one of my favorite Scream Queens, Micah Monroe. Um, it's got a bit of a familiar setup as far as like being like a rear window esque like she's looking out the window watching her neighbor her neighbor's up to no good but this movie really does some unique stuff with that setup and it was thoroughly enjoyable the acting was pretty good the writing was good um burn gorman as the the creepy neighbor really did a good job i mean with a name like burn gorman like how could he not be <laughs> creepy but uh he sells it um Overall, very good watch. Like, like uh, I'm kind of bummed it didn't get a bigger theatrical release because I think it would have done well if it had been shown at more theaters. It's probably... It could easily squeak into my top ten by the end of the year. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it only ran for like, here at least for, like, what, two weeks or something like that? Yeah. And really no promotional materials at all, which is too bad, because uh, this is a good thriller. The other movie I watched, I watched last night, uh, an old one, it's called Blowout, from Brian De Palma, starring John Travolta. Nice. Probably one of the best, um, best thrillers I've ever seen, honestly. It kind of combines, like, a thriller with, like, a with like a sort of, sort of conspiracy espionage noir type film, I had I never really had never really heard about it at least compared to some of Brian De Palma's other other works up until recently. But I decided to check it out because it sounded interesting. It seemed like uh, it's got early Travolta, and I had just never seen it, and I was blown away by it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. You got the Criterion, right? Um, no, this was on Prime Video. Oh, okay, sweet. Uh, Nancy Allen, the lead actress, was also fantastic in it. A menacing John Lithgow and Dennis Franz. Um, you, I found this one on Prime Video. I think it's only on there for a few more days, so actually you'll probably be off of there by the time we release this episode. But if not, I believe it's on Criterion as well. Definitely recommend it. It's... An underappreciated gem from Brian De Palma, in my opinion. Yeah, totally, I agree. I'm gonna defer to you, Mike, because I watched the same movie that you're gonna talk about, and I want your animated opinion first, and I'll okay. chime in my. Well, thoughts. I watched a lot. My weekly watch list is gonna be extended, uh, but I will start with the one you would like to talk about, and that's Cha Cha Real Smooth, people. Uh, this is the descendant of Coda in that it is a Sundance audience darling that Apple paid a lot of money for 
and then put it on their service. And let me tell you this, just to give you an idea of what my opinion of this movie is, I like Coda more than I like this. Um, and if you're a new <laughs> listener, you know that I think the Coda Best Picture win is ludicrous. Um, but this one is about 22-year-old just out of college who takes up a job as a bar mitzvah DJ who strikes up a French friendship relationship um, with a, a an older mother and her daughter. This is written and directed by Cooper Rafe. This is his second feature film. Very rarely am I so far off from a movie's wavelength, and I was shocked by that. I was going in. People, I heard a lot of good things about this. I was looking to have a good time. I'll say this first. There's some good heart here. There's some good lines. I'm glad the cast and crew got to make what they wanted to make. Personally, I find everything in this movie so bizarre and off-putting. So much of the dialogue and the way the characters act is so unnatural. But it like doesn't have... It's not like going for that tone, though, if you know what I mean. Like in another movie where it's surreal, that makes sense. But here it does not. Dakota Johnson is trying her best with the most confusing, ridiculous dialogue and character <laughs> she's been given thus far. It doesn't work. Um, Vanessa Burkhart, who is an actress I hadn't seen before, she was really wonderful. I wish kind of some of more of her story had been in this. Um, so many scenes feel unnecessary, and the humor did not land for me at all. I don't think it's atrocious or anything like that. It's just really super strange to me. I had a very, like, unique reaction to this. I was, like, physically, like, ooh, like, squirming <laughs> at certain points during this, which I don't ever do. Um, during films, including one that I will list later. But Tyler, please give us your opinion on this. So I wanted to mention the dialogue as well, because like it's it's in a point where like some lines are delivered so quickly, like they don't seem natural, and then others are delivered with like stuttering and like like kind of falling all over themselves, kind of thing. That it felt so off-putting that both were just thrown in. Like nothing about this felt natural. It's hard to describe. I feel like you need to watch it to understand what I'm talking about. But, like, from scene to scene, you felt like you were watching different characters at points. I think Cooper Rafe, um, I'm glad he's doing what he wants to do, but I just could not buy him as a person. Uh, no, me neither. Not people who act like this at all. Uh, every scene, he also was the only one whose audio was, like, loud enough to be heard. I kept having to turn it up for every other character to speak. Dakota Johnson whispers every single line she has for some reason that I don't understand. And, like, I had to keep playing with the volume the entire movie because if I turned it up too much, Cooper Rafe would come on and blow my speakers out. So, uh, but I will give this movie credit where the ending got me. I did get emotional at the ending. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but I had something similar happen recently, so I, I sympathized. So I, I'll give it that. But other than that, it was, a, it was a long two hours and, like you said, a lot of unnecessary stuff. Yeah, I, I think Kuba Rafe is going to make something really great. A lot of people think this is really great, um, but I, I, I think I will like uh, his stuff in the future. I also will comment on Watcher. This is a new director spotlight, by the way. This, uh, For anyone who doesn't know, it's about a former actress who moves from America to Bucharest with her husband, where she suspects she is being stalked by a creepy neighbor, uh, written and directed by Chloe Okuno. I think this thing is really an achievement of atmosphere. It's like super creepy and the world feels very somber and like enclosed, but it leaves enough room for doubt where 
the people in the protagonist's life don't really believe that something creepy is happening when she does. Um, Matt, as you said, Michael Monroe, she's really great as Julia. The movie uses her isolation in Romania to great effect. Uh, she doesn't speak the language. And when other people are having conversations, they're not subtitled, which I thought was an awesome choice. It doesn't 100% stick the landing, as many thrillers don't. But overall, it's really great stuff here. And the ending's still good, don't get me wrong. And I definitely want to see more from Chloe Okuno. Matt, uh, we don't have to talk about specifics, but did you like the ending? You know, I I think the ending, same with kind of the setup, it kind of devolved, not devolved, but it, it kind of treads familiar territory. Um, I, I felt, the thing is, with the whole movie, much like X from earlier this year, I feel like this is another movie, a genre film that really like it doesn't necessarily bring new things to the table so much as it takes what's already at the table for the genre in in the sandbox and twists them into an into a fresh a fresh yeah. version of similar things. Like this, I think is, that's a really great way to put it. Like. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, it's okay. Like, like with the end, the ending. Yeah, it was a bit predictable and derivative, but I don't necessarily hold it fully against the movie because I'm not sure if the intention was necessarily there to be something new, and but it was more just something fresh. I think it was. Yeah, I well, I I will say it avoids other more obvious and trite endings. Yeah. So I will give it credit for that. Um, I like that one. I, I recommend people check that out. I also watch RRR, uh, an absolutely incredible epic directed by S.S. Rajamouli. He wrote it with V. Vijayendra Prasad. It is a fictional story based on two real-life Indian revolutionaries, Aluri Sitarama Raju and Komaram Bhim, and their movements during the British occupation of India. You do not see things like this every year. The action in this out of this world it's one incredible sequence after another there are dance numbers musical numbers completely unrealistic but very riveting choreography that works within the tone of the movie story is so well crafted especially this movie is three hours but it is one of like the most consistent three hour movies that i have ever seen i think um and the two lead actors N.T. Ramarao Jr. and Ram Roshan are performers with so many skills. I like this is on Netflix. Everybody check it out. It is one of the coolest things you will see this year. I do want to give a warning. There is like really intense racial violence and torture in some scenes, so just be warned of that. But if you you think that you can uh, get through that, then I, I recommend this to everybody. I also watched one of the craziest, trippiest, grossest movies that I have ever seen. And it was animated. This is Mad God. Mad God. Uh, Mad God is written and directed by Paul Tibbet, who is a legendary animator. He did Star Wars, Robocop, Jurassic Park. And this was sort of like a personal passion project, excuse me, that he worked on for 30 years with a small crew. How do I describe this? This is the best I could do. A masked humanoid descends far down into a hellish nightmare of a world and traverses the city on a mission. That's the best I could do. And there's a ton more that happens. 
However, I, I can't say I understood much more at the end of the movie than I did at the beginning. And I don't necessarily mean that as an insult. This movie is quite the experience. The animation is wonderful. If you are just looking for some really cool world building and animation, I would suggest maybe just watching the first 20 minutes or half hour. And then if you want to tap out at that point, that's fine. It seeks to disturb and it succeeds. It's so bizarre. I'm in awe that this movie exists on planet Earth, which might sound like hyperbole, but just watch this and, and you will see. I enjoyed the visuals a lot. And if this thing sounds like it's up your alley, it's on AMC+. Plus. Otherwise, I don't know a person who would enjoy this. It is pretty gnarly. Um, it's also one of those movies that you can dissect in a million ways. I think it's a very good analysis and discussion movie. I'm impressed by the feat that it is, and I, I will be thinking more about it and coming up with some more analysis on it. I also watched <laughs> The Man from Toronto, which I, I believe you guys scoffed the last time that I mentioned it. I, and I was indifferent. I didn't really well, scoff. you're right to be indifferent. <laughs> so <laughs> this is about a screw-up entrepreneur played by Kevin Hart. He tries to surprise his wife with a weekend getaway, but he's accidentally mistaken for a famous interrogator and assassin played by Woody Harrelson. When Woody catches up to him, the two have to team up and they stop some bad people and they become friends in the process. It is directed by Patrick Hughes, written by Robbie Fox and Chris Bremer. I enjoyed it. The movie isn't terrible. It's marginally entertaining. It's a little bit funny. Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson have some chemistry which could have been great with a better script. It's just the blander version of Central Intelligence, the rock movie, like story beat for story beat. There are some Can't things that are wrong. yeah, exactly the same. You guys remember Central Intelligence? Yeah, Central Intelligence ride along every Kevin Hart movie is just the same thing. Yeah, what, what about Get Hard? Kind of. No one no, watched let's that. Let's not talk about that one. Uh, two things about The Man from Toronto. Number one, this movie does have one of my movie pet peeves. There's a woman who asks a man to dance, and he goes, oh, no, I don't dance. But then he dances, and he likes it. And two, guys, this is a PG-13 F-word contestant. Hmm. Uh, when everything is just like a mess, this isn't like the middle of the movie, poor placement. Woody just says, this is a pig F. This one's not no. going to be winning. Pretty poor. Hmm. Come on. Is it true? Is it true that they mispronounced Toronto for the entire movie? Not that I remember. Why would it? Oh, would I saw like an angry Toronto article, like from a <laughs> Toronto newspaper. That's like they were spelling. They pronounce it like to Toronto or something. Oh, I yeah. I might. I frankly, I don't remember a ton about this movie, so they might have. Yeah, I think it's Toronto technically. Like they don't really emphasize like the T. Oh, okay. Our Canadian, our our five Canadian listeners, if you could chime in on this. Yeah, loyal listeners. I would appreciate it. We appreciate you. I also watched Dog. Uh, You guys remember this one uh, being advertised? I think we... uh, All too often. I think we played our game, Does the Dog Die at the End? And I won't reveal the answer here, but... Uh, this is about an army ranger. He's looking to go back overseas. He's tasked with transporting a fellow soldier's dog to the soldier's funeral. Direct Co-directed by Reed Carolyn and Channing Tatum, written by Reed. If I'm going to be lazy about this, watch the trailer. If you like it, you'll like the movie. If you are not into it, 
you're not going to be into the movie. Uh, but a little more in-depth, you think this is going to be a sweet dog and guy movie where they have to learn to love each other, very Turner and Hooch stuff. And it kind of is that, but it's a pretty dull and unsuccessful version of it. This felt like they filmed the outline of a good movie instead of a script to a good movie. Really like underdeveloped themes of PTSD and some of the characters who are really pivotal to the story, we just never see. We just hear about them a bunch, which is okay in some movies, but this, this one doesn't do it. There is a whole section in here that just makes fun of wokeness in Portland and like how out of touch Tatum's character is and how much he doesn't get it. And also, this isn't funny, but also the dog commits a racist act because like of its training and that topic, which is like ripe for exploration is just like brushed off in a sentence and not, not doesn't come back up again. Why would you put that in this movie? That sounds like the dumbest idea. Ever yeah, that sounds awful. He also, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention this. He also leaves the dog in a vehicle for a long period, which is ironic. Ah. Yeah, not great. Just It's just like, it's just not very fun for a road movie with a guy and a dog. Well, yeah, the dog's committing racist acts of violence. <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun. How, how does it compare to I Am Legend as a road movie about a man and a dog? I love I Am Legend. Go listen to our Will Smith episode. Alright, last thing I watched, but a big one. A movie I wanted to do an episode on, you guys did not. Can you guess what it is? Bodies, bodies, bodies? No, that would be the opposite. No. It's Elvis, baby, come on! Alright, this is a new one, made like quite a lot of money for a movie like this especially nowadays when i went into the theater people were showing up for elvis it was the most packed theater i had been in in a long time for like a non-marvel movie uh it's pretty much a cradle to grave biopic of one of america's biggest icons with Boz Lerman flair i like brought Boz Lerman a lot he obviously directed this Many people had a hand in writing it, including him, Sam Bromell, Craig Pierce, Jeremy Donner. I have many, many mixed feelings about this. I liked long stretches of it. I thought long stretches of it really failed. One of my biggest issues is that, particularly in the beginning, Elvis just kind of feels like a fixture instead of a character of the movie. In fact, the film is framed by the recollections of Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, in a, a role that is much maligned by people. I don't know. I, I didn't think it was that bad. It's a little off-putting at first, especially in certain visuals. But uh, Tom Parker was like a mysterious and dishonest man who was Elvis's manager, a very bittersweet figure in his life and career. It's a strange framing device because it like keeps us at a distance from Elvis which doesn't work on one hand. It could be argued that that kind of works to communicate how much of a mythical figure, uh, especially America and the rest of the world, view Elvis as. Um, but if I'm being honest, the movie as a whole just doesn't totally work. The Boz kinetic energy is here, but the, the Boz magic is not. It's like a soup with a lot of great ingredients, but the whole thing just doesn't taste that great. He does a great job of capturing the electricity of Elvis's performing. 
It's two hours and 40 minutes long, and it feels like it. Feels even longer at some stretches. Still, some things are rushed, and also there's so many rises and falls to his career. You think at some point that he must be like 100 years old by the end of the movie. You're like, his career has gone on so long. He has to be 90. And then you remember he only passed away at 42 years old. Um, So a lot happened in that span of time. Austin Butler really is magnificent at playing Elvis. I think it helps that audiences don't yet have a huge relationship to him as an actor. Um, It helps him disappear into the role. I'll be very interested for the best actor conversation come Oscar season because if he's a serious contender, there's going to be this question of, is the Academy just going to award these imitation performances, you know, like Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody? This very much uh, is reminiscent of that, of Rocket Man, of United States versus Billie Holiday, those very, like, messy but ultimately pretty pleasing movies. Um I did almost cry at the very end. I think Boz ended it really well here. Um, But I also love Elvis. I'm a big Elvis fan, so that probably had a lot to do with it. All right, there's our extended weekly watch list. You guys ready for the black phone? I am ready. (laughs) Sounds it. All right, the black phone. Yeah. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're the hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health evaluation of comic book characters. We also chat with some of your favorite creators. Al Ewing. Erica Schultz. Gail Simone. Philip Kennedy Johnson. Chris Claremont. About their work on comics. So check out all our episodes at capesonthecouch.com and follow us at Capes on the Couch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hashtag Because Comics. Uh, This is about a boy, a young teenager who is kidnapped by an infamous abductor and held in his basement where from a phone in the wall he receives calls from the abductor's former victims. It's directed by Scott Derrickson, who uh, teamed up with Ethan Hawke on Sinister. He also did the first Doctor Strange movie, and this was written by him and C. Robert Cargill, based on the short story by Joe Hill from his book 20th Century Ghosts. This is a Blumhouse production, and just like a slight warning before we get into it, in the beginning conversation, we'll have a bigger spoiler warning later, but I do just want to say sometimes in this we give some, like some light spoilers to some plot elements, but we don't like talk about the ending in the very beginning or like that. So with that said, Matt, what did you think of The Black Phone? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very solid. Um, my, my thoughts on Blumhouse as a production company is that they can be very hit or miss because they have some real good gems in their catalog, but then they also have some... more lackluster ones and this was definitely some fire starters (laughs) (laughs) um among others yeah halloween kills uh but um i i really enjoyed this i thought scott derrickson did a great job directing and writing it with c robert cargill i mean i think I, i didn't read the short story but for them to make such a satisfying movie from the source material i think it was pretty impressive ethan hawk was fantastic for the most part i will say like he in the trailers he looked much more manic and sinister than he did by the time he got we got to the end of the movie like he started great and i think it kind of once once we got used to the shtick it kind of got a little more muted i would say i don't know if there was 
uh, enough shtick given to him. But go ahead, finish what you're gonna say. Please. I mean, I mean, I was into it for the most part, but like I said, I, I think, uh, like I said, I think he kind of got a little muted toward the end. But I thought Mason Thames was fantastic as Finney. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There were some elements that were definitely like unrealistic and not explained super well, but. It's one of those movies where I feel like it doesn't really matter that much. You just kind of just got to take it for what it is and work with it. Like, you don't necessarily need to know why there's ghost kids and why they can communicate through the phone or why, minor spoiler, yeah. that sister is psychic. You know, they never really go into those things, but it's also not really important to what's happening other than just it's there, in my opinion, so... I mean, overall, it's a solid horror movie. It got one of my biggest jump scares of the year so far. Another one that could possibly squeak into the, like the bottom half of my top ten, depending on how the rest of the year shakes out. Um, overall, yeah. I would recommend it. Uh, Tyler. So I am disappointed to report that I did not crap my pants during this movie. Oh, as no. no, but someone did fart was, in the theater. Someone did fart, and I... <laughs> We did. I, that was a that was a fun moment. No, I did like this movie. Um, I thought it was going to be scarier than it was, in my opinion. It felt more like a thriller than a horror movie to me, which I thought it was a decent thriller. Um, I did like Mason Thames really much. I liked Madeline McGraw. I thought she was good. I just felt like her role was just kind of unnecessary for the most part, um, which I just felt like I wish they gave her more to do because I did like her, her in that movie. Um, and I feel like Ethan Hawke just wasn't as menacing as... I was expecting. Um, but overall, I mean, it was a solid thriller, and I was fully invested in it. just wasn't as scary as I was hoping. Yeah, I I like this movie a lot, at least the watching experience of it. I was quite entertained the whole time. It didn't drag. There was a good momentum to it for the most part. It was quite creepy, if not terrifying. It never lets you rest, though. There's, al- there's always somebody getting the crap kicked out of them. There's a few jump scares... I like the grainy style of the dream sequences and like the sound, the distant sound of the people on the phone. It's not quite as good as I was hoping for, and in some ways it is seriously lacking. They could have beefed it up quite a bit, but it got somewhere very good. I'm still very favorable on this. I recommend it to any thriller fans. You don't even have to be a horror fan. Tyler, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's less of a horror movie. It's more of like a thriller movie with a creepy premise, if that makes sense. It is probably my biggest issue with the movie is Matt, what you were saying about Ethan Hawke as the grabber, who is very good. He's very good in this. Um, he has that excellent mask designed by Tom Savini, and like he's never wearing the exact one. He's got different pieces to it. He takes them off, puts different ones on, but. I just thought his character was a little underdeveloped. I don't necessarily need like, oh, the tragic backstory or like the full analysis of this child abductor, but like I needed a little more with him or at least a few more scenes of him interacting with people because for the most part, he was just like a guy that keeps kids in his basement, which might is definitely like enough to be thrilling, but it... it there was more, especially when you get a performer of his caliber. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to that. It kind of felt like he was just a figure that kind of popped up every once in a while, just to be like, hey, I'm here still. And I felt yeah. like they could have done a lot more with that. Yeah, but I, I mean, that kind of goes to what I was saying, too, like with some of the other elements, like 
like the other elements with um like why there's ghosts in the phone and why the sister is psychic like yeah they could have expanded on it but i don't think it necessarily took away from the experience that it wasn't there it just would have been nice if it was more I think it does a bit, especially like we get, especially because we get hints of it. Like there is, you know, the scene, this isn't a spoiler, but there's the scene where he's just like, the kid wakes up, he's in the basement, he's like staring. It's a very creepy moment. And he's like almost crying. And the kid's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I just wanted to look at you. And like, there's, there's something there, but I don't, I, it feels like the filmmakers just wanted us to like, have that be enough for us to be creeped out which it was for sure but it was like there's something there that you're not getting at and Mm -hmm. that like let left me not completely satisfied even though i like this a lot yeah we had a gang of goofballs in like the front rows of our theater during that scene that just started bursting out laughing at that at that part and that kind of took me out of it Oh. And they also took several with flash on pictures of the screen. That's awful. The movie. Like, get Which, out. Get that. out of here. Stop. If you do that, leave. I want as many people as possible to go see movies, but if you're going to be doing that, get out of the theater. It's not the place for you. Go anywhere else. Um, but, yeah, I, I also had a group come and sit behind me that I knew were going to be an issue, so I just moved. Um, my theater was not super full. Yeah, they, I just didn't think that there were enough scenes between Finn, played by Mason Thames, Mason Thames, and the Grabber, right? Which, it begs the question, was it... Because most of the movie takes place with Finn in the basement. Was that a good decision? I feel like this could have used a little bit more, like, the Grabber lurking in the streets, I feel like that would have made this a little bit even more creepy. Well, was this a was this a COVID project? Like, was this filmed during COVID? Not sure to be honest with you. It kind of feels like it. I mean, if it was, I'd be willing to. I mean, you can kind of. I, I'd be willing to excuse that. Personally. Yeah, I don't know. You just have them out in the streets. That's fine. You can distance true, true. Okay. okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought. I thought the other performances were quite mixed. I don't think everyone's knocking it out of the park here. Um, Mason Thames, is, he's good. Um, he had some better moments than others, I think. Uh, Madeline McGraw, I saw her in like a commercial a few years ago, and she had just like one tiny comic part in it, and I was like, whoa. She really did so much better at that than... Um, than she needed to and so i was like okay i'm excited to see what she does i thought she was really good in this um she was very aggressive at parts she was very sweet and like vulnerable at parts um she was good jeremy davies is pretty good as the abusive father he's i don't know he's also just kind of like a eh, character yeah they kind of force some development in there but he's all right they hint at some family backstory that's just not explored. She's like, okay. Yeah, it's like the oh, the mother was psychic too, and that's yeah. like like why he's upset that she is psychic. I don't. I didn't find that but, necessary, Matt. Like no, you said, there didn't need to be a reason for it. Didn't make any sense. She's psychic. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I did think uh, James Ronzone or James Ronzone. My apologies, as Max, the Grabber's brother. I thought he was really great. Mm. 
um, but he was very underused. He really only gets like one and a half scenes, I would say. Uh, did the phone concept work for you guys? Was that entertaining enough to last as long as it does? I don't know. I thought the concept worked pretty well with like all the ghost kids, like each person trying to give a piece to the puzzle to try and help him get out. Yeah, I agree. I I, I liked it a lot. Um, I don't think it got old. I thought some of the kids' parts were like stronger than others. We also get like these memories of the kids. Some of them it's just like their former lives. And some of them, it's like how the grabber came to get them or whatever, which I thought was pretty effective. It one kind of served to like um, give us material for Gwen's visions. And also I thought it was a nice like victim humanization thing, which is something a lot of these movies forget to do. Um, I, did you guys find that as necessary to the extent that they did it? I, I don't know if it was necessary, but I think it worked. So, I mean, I did get, you did kind of feel for these victims. You got more than just, hey, this was a guy he abducted and killed. Uh, I did not like the long-haired kid, though. That kid annoyed me the whole time. <laughs> Which one, the scary kid? The, the, the like, the angry, yeah, aggressive the one. That one. He's it's like, like, you piece of crap, you better get out of here. You're going to, you piece of crap. And, like, it was just like, okay, well, yeah, like, well, yeah, because Finn was like, oh, that kid scared me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, with that, why don't we get into spoilers here and talk about some more specific stuff. Uh, so, spoiler warning for The Black Phone. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. With that said, one of the things is that the ghost kids keep warning Finn that the grabber is like, he's the worst, most evil guy ever. The grabber never really shows any act of aggression towards Finn, except when he escapes. But like in the basement, he just kind of like comes in, says something weird, and then goes out. That's all the interaction they have in the room, which I thought was like, if the kids are constantly telling us how bad this guy is, Show us how bad this guy is. Not that I want something horrible to happen to to Finn, but like show us. It was it was all bark I mean, no he was, bite. He was trying to set the traps and stuff for him to come out to be a naughty yeah. boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to play the naughty boy in order to get punished. Yeah, he never played naughty boys. <laughs> he couldn't show up at him. I mean, it, he was Naughty Boy because he got out. That was, like, the only time they interact in any sort of, like, aggressive way is when he captures him outside and, like, just yeah, brings him back in. Yeah. Um, which I, I thought that was okay. It was kind of just, like, a reset of, like, oh, he got out. Oh, he's back in, back to where he started. Yeah, um, I thought that um, scene was pretty intense when he's, like, trying to do, like, the combination lock and he's sneaking by him and you got, like, Ethan Hawke with the mask on. Like sleeping. oh yeah, I think I thought I, that creeped me the heck out. Like um, like I was waiting for his eyes to just like pop open and yeah, I think this whole thing works as a watching experience. Don't get me wrong, I I like it. Um, with that said, let me get to the brother. So the brother is staying with the grabber. This presented a couple of issues for me. I like the performance a lot. 
He's underused. But with that, when he is, uh, when the grabber is sitting in that chair in the kitchen, staring at the basement door, he has his mask on, his shirt open. He has a big old belt in hand, and he's waiting for Finn to play Naughty Boy. Is the brother never getting out of bed in the middle of the night for a midnight snack and seeing his brother with a crazy mask on and going, hey, why are you staring at the basement door? Especially with the dog that's, like, barking and stuff. Yeah. Like the dog barks, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, shut up. It's, it's just barking. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't understand that either. And, like, how did he keep his brother out of the basement? Like, I'm not saying the brother's... Uh, it was hidden. The door was hidden. Oh, okay. That. Oh, yeah, that's because true. the cop sees the door behind the shelf. Yeah, I, okay, that's a good point. I just... That was a big thing for me. Like, why would he just expect his brother never to get out yeah. of bed while he was doing yeah. this? And also, how did he not notice his brother with, like, all the conspiracy theory map on the board in the middle of the living room? Yeah, I, don't, I guess he just thought he was coked out of his mind so he wouldn't figure anything out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but the well, we get the two houses, because at first I was like, I wasn't sure which of them was in... Was there anything in the other house besides the bodies? Just the bodies, I believe. Just bodies, bodies, ah, bodies. you no. took my line. <laughs> I knew you were saying it. That's a... But yeah, that's apparently that's all there was. So that was such a stupid twist that I didn't think worked, honestly, with the whole leading them there. What, she saw that house. <laughs> yeah. I, and then I it, it would have made sense if like if they did that like halfway through the movie or something, but they just solved it five seconds later. Yes, yes, and, you're and right. Then, and then in case you didn't catch on, they did have to explain that okay, he had two houses that were across the street from each other. <laughs> one where he kept the victims. Yeah, which, like, and one it wasn't effective. The bodies. Yeah, hopefully. Is, you, nope. say, hopefully you got a low interest rate on those <laughs> two mortgages that's it's it's the expense. 70s it's before uh before the housing market just went to shit oh, yeah, language sorry yeah i i liked uh i like the interactions with the the ghost victims you know we got bruce uh the baseball player the paper boy let me say this about the paper boy paper boy had the worst dog that's ever existed ever the dog just like watching him get abducted by the crabber, and the dog's like, eh, "It's all good." Not like barking, not running after the car. He's like sitting there, like life is good. Worst dog. I I was very confused at like what the ghosts were because like they didn't have memories of their own identities. Well, they had some. Not their names, but they were also omnipotent. They could tell when they when the grabber passed out. Like, like, hey, he's sleeping right now, so you can go up now. Oh, I'm like, yeah, what? That's you true. know that? <laughs> well, I don't know. Perhaps it was like the further, the longer they're dead, the further back in their memory starts to fade. Because they all knew what they did when they were in the basement. So maybe that was like the recency of what they were doing. Yeah, I. It, you're right. It's, it's a little bit inconsistent. It didn't bother me too much. Um,. The kid hanging upside down was pretty pretty creepy. Hmm. Also, the guy was it Vance, the, the like older teenager guy. Yeah. The he said the same speech like three times, and I was like, <laughs> enough. We heard you. I gotta say, the first kid was that was it the paper boy? The first kid. I think Bruce. Was I think the first. Bruce I thought, was first. Did Bruce? I don't. I didn't think Bruce actually like manifested. 
I don't think he appeared, but he spoke. Talk about the first kid that like manifested. Oh, that was Paperboy, because I believe. Either, I think so. either way, he that made me jump like two feet because I wasn't expecting there to be an actual kid there. Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty yeah. effective. Maybe that's why they didn't have Bruce show up at first. It's like, oh, they're just talking through the phone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, and then I, you know, I thought it was sweet when his his fighter friend taught him how to use the phone and fight and all that. That was nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the ending, well, I should say the first ending. We get the brother finally discovering the basement, and then uh, the grabber kills him. This whole thing, like, after the brother, the brother was all right. After that, everything seemed like a little bit anticlimactic. It was clever for uh, Finn to bring together all the elements of this to, to defeat the grabber. I don't know. For like a final showdown with this guy who's the most evil thing ever, it was a little like, eh. I don't know. Yeah. Am I am I being too harsh here? No, I felt the exact same. Like I was like, oh, that's it. That's that's how I. Also, the dumbest thing that like I like how he combined the stuff to do it, but the dumbest one was that he just got a steak out of the freezer. To, to yeah, that, that was dog. a little bit of a stretch. He dug through the wall just to get a steak. <laughs> yeah, ev- everything was a little too perfect, but like it was okay. What didn't make total sense to me? Well, first I will say this: when he was like, "Oh, I kill the other kids quickly, but I- I'm gonna take this one slow," and then he brings the dog down, I was like, "Holy crap! He's gonna have this dog rip him apart," and then they don't go for that. And so- no, he's just like, "I'm gonna tie him up so he can watch." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like a guard dog. Well, so he can't get up the stairs. Yeah, which was clever. I just like, I don't know. I had a more shocking moment when I thought that the other thing was going to happen. I mean, yeah, um, me too. Ramsey Bolton stuff, but... <laughs> uh, also, a couple of things they don't explain, but I think are up for interpretation. So when the grabber's mask comes off, he's like, oh, I, I can't be seen. Which I thought was interesting combined with another fact, but isn't he maskless out in the street? Well, he had makeup on. Okay, like white white face makeup, like Johnny Depp in every role in the past 10 years. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it, but it was like... Uh, he wasn't wearing it during that know. trial. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> But also, I'm I'm sick of movies like hyping up like face reveals, and it's just their face. Yeah. It's just Ethan Hawke. I thought there was gonna be something there. You specifically showed him not not. I mean, I guess we saw both sides unmasked, but still. I thought it was gonna well, be Kevin may... Bacon. Yeah, I well, there's there are some fewer than six degrees of separation in this movie, but I thought it was maybe like in he almost takes on a different persona personality when he is doing these horrendous things and like he almost when he is his real person he can't face the facts that he would do these horrendous things he becomes uncle drew when you take the mask (laughs) well didn't it um what are you doing with that uh with that rope young blood (laughs) hold my nuts well didn't didn't they allude to this earlier like early in the film that like he was abused in that basement before he grew up or while he was it was up. kind of alluded to, um, which I thought, I don't know, I feel like they could have taken it one step further, perhaps. You're not wrong, um, but also with the fact, 
I thought it was okay combined with the fact that like he refuses to acknowledge that the phone rings, but he seems to know that the phone rings. He never said to hang up the phone, though. I was waiting for that line the whole movie. Yeah, that was a pretty good moment in the trailer, and then they don't use it. Yeah. Um, I thought that kind of played with the same idea, that like he can't seem to take the fact that he would do such horrendous things to kids, which maybe... Um, with your implication is like he can't believe that he would repeat things that have been done to him which could be i thought there were elements that were not super could have been more developed but they were okay they left enough up to interpretation i also just thought the very ending um where he's back at school and he's a cool kid now i get it like no one's gonna mess with him anymore because he's getting beat up in every other part of the movie but it was like they could have just ended it when the sister and him hugged. It didn't add a ton to the movie. Uh, the the sister role was so pointless in the end because like she wasn't even necessary to save him. Well, didn't they get the address to the house because of her? Yes, but they were still in the the decoy house until he came out of the house. Oh, okay. Well, I, they wouldn't. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's over there. <laughs> These these cops who are have the whole area cordoned off. There's 20 minutes before they realize the game they're looking for is standing right next to them. Yeah, you're not wrong. Sometimes it did feel like that part was just beefed up to extend this into a feature length movie, um, which they could have put to better use other elsewhere. I, but I had an experience like that it. when I was a kid at the beach. What happened? Um, I wandered off and. My parents started to panic because they didn't know where I was. And then eventually I found my way back. By the time I found my, my way back, they had already contacted the lifeguards and they were like swarming. Swarming. They were combing the. Uh, <laughs> they were combing they were the shore. And then I just like wandered into this circle where everyone's like standing around and like freaking out. And I'm just like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> great, great comedic timing. <laughs> Because I ripped my pants. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, I'd be curious to be inside the heads of those lifeguards and first responders that day. Uh, but yeah, that, that was all right. Apparently, uh, Joe Hill has pitched a sequel idea to Scott Derrickson that Derrickson said he would do if this... If this film is successful, um, it's already making a decent amount of money, so hopefully we get that sequel. I, I'm curious as to what that is. I would definitely enter this this world again. How about you guys? It, it's going to be something stupid like Finney's the new grabber. Oh, no. <laughs> it's actually going to tie no, into but... the next Doctor Strange movie. No, please, no. Which which actually is, is a question I want to bring up. Since Scott Derrickson originally was supposed to be on... Doctor Strange 2, would you have rather seen him stick with the Marvel Universe instead of Sam Raimi? Or are you glad that he was able to break away and make this instead? No, I'm glad he did this as opposed to Doctor Strange 2. I guess that's kind of a loaded question, because I know my answer is pretty much the same. Apparently, he was like happy to be taken off because he wanted to work on Black Phone, so it worked out. Yeah, good for him. All right. God, they, like, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars have this, hit, like, decade-long history of directors just, like, throwing... F I'm not saying he threw a fit, but, like, 
directors getting upset studio getting upset and then parting ways there's been so many <laughs> what i'm not saying is unusual for film production but there's so many like high profile cases yeah i mean look at fast 10 why what's going on in fa- oh with, with the, the director uh, quitting oh yeah 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 yeah. you're right all right any final thoughts on the black phone i mean it's not perfect by any means but it was solid i really enjoyed it the black phone more like down to bone <laughs> for anyone who has maybe been hearing that and doesn't know what it was it was a a, a slip up perhaps a freudian slip from our our morbius episode but it was not intended as it was said morbius that was from the x episode yeah. was it yeah. was i thought it, it was yeah sure? i always thought it was morbius no i'm pretty sure it was x i, I thought it was morbius as well all right because you said when we get down to bone on it or something. Yeah, I, I was talking about X, I thought. I, well, I've always luckily there are audio records. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously you guys were more down to bone during Morbius than I was, but... No, I'm all set with that, that blood sucking. Uh, Alright, well, yeah, I, I agree with you. I recommend this. It's still a really good thrill ride, and if they develop this further, I think it could be a, a good return to this world, but... If you saw The Black Phone, if you're interested in it or any other thing, movie-related anything, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, please, it would mean a lot. Rate and review on your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, tell a fellow friend. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod, and our Facebook is Silver Screensavers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus and on Letterboxd at Tyler96. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and on Letterboxd at M Gallet. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. It really means a lot to us. We'll see you next time. Take it away, Tyler. Stay down to bone. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michel via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.